Blog Talk Radio. My name is Ian Eisenberg, and I'm just waiting for Jay Logan to join us. He's our co-host out in California. I'm in New York. Today we've got a big show. We've got some really good guests today, and it's going to be a very wonderful discussion. As always, Parents, Kids, and Music is a show about the relationships that people have, whether they're, it's with their parents or with their kids about music. And ladies and gentlemen, now now entering. Hello, Jay. How are you? Hey. Hey, Ian. How are you doing? Excellent. Well, so sharing with everybody how today, we, as always, we talk about the relationships that people have with their parents and their kids and based on the relationships and the music that they listen to. And Jay, it's, I'm glad that we get to do this all the time, and thank you for joining us once again and co-hosting this show with me. This is uh, wonderful, wonderful. It's uh, nice and sunny out here in San Francisco. I um, just want to let you know. I'm not rubbing in. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm looking at snow. I'm looking at ice. I'm looking at salt. I'm looking at mud out here. As I look out my window, and you know what? We all get it. I mean... There are places in Alaska where there's where they got six straight months of sunlight and six straight months of dark. So everyone has their different weather, and it's very cool. I know about that Alaska stuff, about the six months of... Uh, so I know about I that. I know you do. <laughs> yeah, so um, <clears throat> this is great that we're back here today, and we have some great guests out here. Yes, we do. we got three really good guests. And we've got a big show. So you were telling me about before the show about this amazing drummer who was a child prodigy who has since grown up and is toured with Jay Z. Tell me about this guy. Well, his name is Tony Worcester Jr. Um, he's been playing since he was three years old, and he was a child prodigy. I mean, he's um, he has tons and tons of fans, and at age eleven. He went to the NAMM show, which I just got back from, and he won the drum off. And he beat drummers that were twice his age and three or four times his age. Very good fan. Wow. And he also, um, um, he, he's, he's used to high-profile performances. Like uh, he's, he did the Nickelodeon house band and just led by Paul Schaefer on the David Letterman show and he did the Jenny Jones. I mean, this guy is just, a drummer. I don't know where he gets all these chops from, but he's just a drummer. And he's so good, Ian, that Jay-Z called him, I think this year, last year, last year, or maybe a year before, to play for him you know, on, on his tour. Wow. So now he's, he's traveling around with Jay-Z, and he started at three years old. So And he has all these DVDs and all this stuff out. And this guy is an amazing talent, amazing prodigy. And he's got the right beat, believe me. And uh, not only that, What's good about this kid is he was also on the honor roll for his high school. He's he's great in academics, so you can't just be a musician out there uh, for our, you know parents and kids. Just listen, if you're going to do that, you got to be on the honor roll and get your education also. And uh, the other thing about this guy is, um, you know, I was in Vogue's music director when they first started, so this guy went on and to become the drummer for In Vogue, and this is how I heard about him. And um, he became the drummer at an early age for In Vogue. And, uh, hey, you know, what can I say? He's a, he's great. He stays in school and he gets his education. And he's also a great musician. So that's that's about it for Tony Roster. That's all I have to say. And uh, that's, I just wanted to share that with our that's audience. That's amazing. I mean, considering how we've been talking about other 
So these guitarists and these amazing musicians that are out right now, just to see this guy Tony singing, this is what these kids that was in public the last week could grow up to be. Since Tony, as a child, as a child prodigy, I mean, now he's in his twenties and has grown up. And like we've got like those like twelve-year-old guitar players and thinking that one day that could be them. That they bring their talents and are really able to make a career of it since not many people have been able to make make it up to those big leagues and be able to, whether it's being famous on their own or being on tour with huge acts and like Jay-Z. Yeah, that, that's that's amazing. And also at like age 11 to 14, this guy has over four four to five million hits on his YouTube, uh, Tony Roster Jr. So if you if you if you go to his YouTube you see he's really legit and he has all the comments to go comments to go along with those four four million hits. So he's yeah. This this is amazing. This guy did it from a child a child music musician that loves music all the way to now he's a young man and he's doing it he's he's made it. And uh I'm just glad to see that. You know, he stuck with it. You know, drums are it's, it's hard to get paid for things that you love. And this guy has been playing these drums since he was a kid. He's stuck with it. He's stuck in school. He's stuck in school. But he's, stuck with his, he's stuck with his instruments. So it doesn't matter if it's drums, oboe, clarinet, saxophone. This guy proves that if you stick with your musicianship and you stick with your your education, you can become your, your childhood dream. So it's a good example. That's absolutely Jay. And... It's just beautiful, like, just like the health of it and just the contrast of it where we start with, start young. People play, they're people who have the opportunity of going to school and starting out. I remember being in third grade and we all had the recorders and and just, I can just still even just remember the tones of these little plastic instruments with holes and just create, just understanding something musical, even just as young children who this is like the first experience of really just making music and just having the opportunity of then being able to be in the band, play for myself. I played the clarinet from fourth grade through the high school, as I've mentioned a bunch of times. And just having the opportunity, it's just, it's a shame that I hear there are schools that just don't have music departments and that there are places where, I mean, instruments aren't the cheapest things in the world that there's funding. And it's just beautiful to see kids like Tony and people just having that ability, even at at a young age, to play instruments, whether it's their parents buy it for them or or myself being fortunate that that like the public schools I went to up in Westchester County in Portchester, New York, have such a strong music department that I was able to make music as a kid and it's forever shaped who I am today. Now, see, that's important that you say that because there's not a lot of money to go around in some of the schools, educational uh, schools around our country. And I was down at the National Association of Music Merchants, and they're trying to tackle this huge problem because we don't have budgets to go into some of the schools. Some of the companies and some of the teachers, what they're doing, musicians, are going around and taking taking these instruments to show the young kids. Because a lot of these young kids, they don't know what an oboe is. They don't. They don't know what a bass a bass uh, bass clarinet is. They don't know what bagpipes are. So a lot of these teachers and musicians and retail store uh, owners are taking it to the streets. And that that was some of the things that needs to be done. A lot of the teachers are taking these instruments and sharing them with school age kids from six to twelve years old and try to inspire these kids to like music because, you know, all they do is listen to the iPods and watch TV and watch videos, but they never get to experience being a musician or learning about instruments. So this is great what the uh, NAMM is doing. They're going around to a lot of the school districts and sharing instruments with these children so these children are aware 
of what's going on and aware of their creativity. And I think that's so wonderful because we don't we don't have the monies in the schools. And even even some of the some of the retailers are donating I mean donating instruments to the school age kids so they could take them home and practice and actually, you know, learn about the instruments. And this is what this is what this is what America has to do now. We have to take music in our own hands. And not just music, sports, arts, the whole thing, the whole bag of wax. And um, take it, take it to the streets, and take it to the schools ourselves to get these kids instruments, so we can keep music alive, and 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 and, and also it helps our show also. <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking about our show, Jay, we have our first guest. So, hi Lloyd, um, you're on the air with um with Jay and Ian here on Parents Kids Music. Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you? Oh, we're great. Good, good afternoon, way. guys. <laughs> good afternoon. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, we're doing wonderful out here in California. You know, I know it's kind of cold out there with Ian, but uh, well, I'll send some sunshine his way eventually. Oh, please, and the heat with it. <laughs> oh, you want the heat too? You're asking for too much. No. Yes, yes, kind of warm things up a little bit and take away the gray. Excellent. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, speaking about making some light, how about making some music? Um, yeah, Lloyd, tell us about your musical background growing up. Well, it's interesting when I um, got in on the call when you were talking about um, sharing instruments and um, and music with uh, inner city kids. I myself was raised in Pennsylvania, and I was part of that um, project where they had donated instruments to the schools, and that's where I was introduced to the um, land of music outside of what you were normally taught in music class. So I was um, schooled on the baritone horn, and then in freshman year they had uh, what they call piano lab. So that's why I was able to learn piano, and not just certain songs, but I also was taught classical piano. So it gave me a, a wide range of musical background in terms of just hearing music, but actually being able to sit and understand when music is being played, what's being, um, what I'm hearing. And I recall um, a friend of mine, his parents, um, her parents actually had put her in music, and their um, idea of doing that was that opening her up into different, in various areas of culture, so that even though she may not like it, if she goes to that, uh, be in an opera or be at a, a concert, at least you have an understanding of what it is that she's listening and watching as opposed to just sitting there and being bored. And I think that's an excellent concept in terms of opening children up to what music really is other than just something to listen to on uh, the iPod or on uh, CDs. And also listening to the music that my parents was listening to when I was coming up as a kid really was interesting. Um, made me want to be back in that era as opposed to when I was raised in the 70s, 60s and 70s. But uh, it was an interesting um, dynamic in listening to what my parents were listening to when they were um, teenagers, um, listening to um, music when I was a kid, which was basically R&B, and also being schooled in classical music. So it gave me... Uh, a value that I can't even, I would never take away. Wow. So did you, what, was your, what, what was your favorite instrument out of those instruments that you mentioned? Like, did you have a favorite? We, you know, this is going to sound odd, but I come from an era where things were very, how do I put this, black uh, and white, boy and girl. Although I learned the baritone horn and classical mm-hmm. piano, my favorite instrument was the flute and piccolo. But at that time, that was considered a girl's instrument, although I didn't even know there were male flautists. But that okay. was always my favorite instrument. <laughs> but I never learned to play it. But nonetheless, it didn't alter what um, value I did get from learning the instrument, period. So, Lloyd, I have, I have a question for you. You know, I, a, mm-hmm. a, young lady, a young lady told me from. Uh, I was talking to a young lady from Texas, and her kid okay. played. In a, her kid played in the marching band. 
Well, a lot yeah. of the a lot of a lot of the other kids would tease him and said the marching band is not for guys, and it's, you're not, you not you it doesn't make you a big strong man when you play in the marching band. They would tease a lot of the kids, so it would deter a lot of the children from not joining the band. I just want to get your comment on that, and what do you think about that? Uh, kids um, teasing other kids about joining the orchestra or classical orchestra or the marching band. Did you get any of that when you were growing growing up? You know. Kids, uh, peer pressure from your peer friends telling you, oh, you shouldn't play an instrument in the orchestra or you should play in a marching band. That was the question. Well, um, I, once again, I come from, um, I was very um, blessed. Um, There is this statement that uh, where a child is not raised by one but by a community. And it was the community that really... uh, was the instrument in terms of us enjoying the marching band. Um, I came from York, Pennsylvania, and York High was the local high school, and our band was so well, oh, my gosh, they traveled. They actually traveled. They traveled to uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York. They've traveled um, over the United States because of their, um, their expertise, their excellence, in marching, and when I was in school, as you, I started in fifth grade, and I went up until senior high school, and each year uh, you had marched in the marching band, and you also marched, you also was in uh, the concert, uh, you were also in um, instrumental concert, where you were playing classical music as well, so you were doing concerts as well as marching, so I never had that experience where people were, where you were being teased by your peers or anything. Outside of when I was in five, fifth grade and carrying a baritone horn, needless to say that that horn is rather large. And for a small fifth grader, the, the horn was larger than myself. So carrying it back and forth to school, uh, that's where the teasing came in, but not anything that will cause me any harm or upset. But... Uh, in terms of just learning instruments, they can always refer to uh, their favorite band or their favorite okay. musician. And they themselves, right. they can show, well, look, this is the instruments they play, and they can use that as leverage to have a sense of peace around wanting to learn an instrument. Okay, so what about in today's kids? Like, you know, if you're not a football player and you're in the marching band, um, a lot of peer pressure with kids, and now you see these marching bands getting smaller and smaller because they got friends. Friends, uh, I, I wouldn't, call, I wouldn't call them bullies. So you know, bully them around and tell them, hey, you don't need to be playing the instrument. You're not on the football team. You're kind of weak. Uh, what would you say to the kids that today about you know joining the orchestra and joining marching bands? Well. <clears throat> You just have to, um, you would have to bring to their attention that you learn so much from all aspects of life, where many sports persons will use the um, the sport itself in terms of learning life lessons. You can also show them what you can learn from playing an instrument and how that can actually open you up to meeting other people, other cultures. Um, wow. That in itself is so priceless, and if you can actually take on mentoring a child who is probably interested in music but yet is afraid of being teased, maybe you can guide them in taking them to a, a concert or to a ballet or to, or maybe teach them an instrument yourself if you are savvy in um, instruments and give them a sense of pride in learning something that isn't quote-unquote popular. And then... Um, Give them some sense of, oh my gosh, for lack of a better word, pride. Um, that's, that's a backbone. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's what needs to be done because a lot of these kids, uh, they, they they feel that the music comes from uh, iPod or they feel it comes out the computer, or it comes out the radio. You ask, well, where does the music come from? Or you know, almost like, how's a baby born? You don't even know where milk. Where does milk come from? You know what? Where does a cheeseburger come from? Oh, from McDonald's. So most of the kids don't know where music music comes from. And what you said that there needs to be a sense of pride and they 
you know, music is great for, for if you if you do mathematics, music will help you remember. It, it's yeah. great for your mind, and it's a great tool for education. You just said it, Lord. You said it. A sense of pride. That was the great. That was the word that we that I needed because these kids need to have that, and that would change. That would change over time, and it would also help their education. Um, you know, and that's what the, that's what the key is. That's why I, I believe that the big band, the marching band, you feel part of a village, you feel part of a family. It's very important, and um, we need to put that out there for our different communities to to instill that it's a sense of pride. And uh, yeah, I just I, I agree. I agree 100 percent with you. I agree 100 percent. Um, look, what, what kind of music Very did your musical. mom and what kind of music did I'm your sorry? mom and your what kind of music did your mom and dad enjoy? What did they what did they listen to as you were coming up? Well, my parents are from the um, the forties and the fifties, so that was the uh, what the bebop, <laughs> and my dad was a DJ too, <laughs> and so my dad was a DJ also. Well, back then they called him he was spin records. So he was at various uh, occasions. He uh, he was spinning records, or he was the DJ. So I had all that music around me, and for myself, um, just to be a little personal, I come from a very outspoken background where people were listening to a lot of love songs, and they could relate to the to the story that's being told in the love song. And for me, it was so depressing that I myself gravitated towards instrument, instrumentals. This way I can make up this story that will work for me and give me a happy disposition and also upbeat music. So that's where I've always gravitated towards. But as you get older, you can there are some love songs, there are some slow songs that are, are wonderful to listen to and, and heart, not heart-wrenching, but heart but upbuilding. So there is the experience that you have at that moment, and then there's the experiences you have later in life. So music really, um, it really evolves. As you, as an individual, as you grow up, there is the experience of your youth, and then there's your experience as an adult. So um, there's music out there to not only assist you in whatever, wherever you are in life, but it also can be so upbuilding and so and can ease a moment and can uplift a moment in your life. That's what I find music to be. Excellent. Well it, and and just going from being the mu being the musician and growing up on the educational level to the point of the music just becoming you. And I, I thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing with us any final thought for our audience. Well, enjoy music. Enjoy it for what it does for you. Um, music is an escape that can assist you and that cause no harm to others. Um, th- yeah, I like that. Uh, and it's just so much diversity. Um, expressions of music out there. So there is that out there that will assist you in wherever you are in your life and make you happy and make you smile. And that is what we really need is genuine smiles and genuine smiling hearts. And music can certainly assist you in that um, in that endeavor. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for for calling us today and sharing with us and with our audience. Thank you. You're welcome. You guys Thank have you a given. wonderful, wonderful day. You too. And um, and Jay, bring that sunshine uh, out east for us. Well, you got Lloyd. I think Lloyd brought the sunshine to the show. So I'll put some to it. All right, Lloyd. Thank you. Take All care. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you, Lloyd. And now we've got Tyler on. Hey, Tyler, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Excellent. Welcome. It's Ian here in New York, and we've got Jay out in California. Hi, Tyler. Very cool. Thank you. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Good to hear. Good to hear. And today we've 
the, the conversation has shifted towards just just going from an educational level into just growing up and having music become part of you. So tell us about your background as um, in terms of listening to music and perhaps making music. Yeah, well, um, I actually began listening to, um, I would say that my first um, introduction to music that I currently find, um, you know, amusing is my dad would play a record by Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead and um, David Grisman, who was a famous bluegrass um, mandolin player. And um, that was a song, uh, a CD actually, called Not For Kids Only. And that was like, came out, you know, around when I was born. Um, and so I listened to that when I was younger. And then I moved into um, more of the, like, hip-hop rap area of, of music that, um, that you know, that took over about eight years of my life from, you know, being, I would say, from age five till 13, I was into the rap type thing, or, you know, until I was 12, and then, um, but I was playing drums ever since I was eight, which um, I just, my grandpa's a jazz musician, and um, also a computer programmer, like my dad, my dad doesn't play an instrument, but, um, but that sort of introdu- uh, introduced me to music when my grandpa was playing an Almond Brothers tune um, called Whipping Post, and I said, I want to play that. I want to play like that. And um, and of course, you know, not playing um, not playing an instrument before that, I was sort of I didn't know what I was getting into, but that that sort of got me um, interested into the whole jam band and um, and the folk and you know funk and rock what I you know currently listen to and. Um, and uh, that sort of evolved into me being more introduced into live music and then uh, moved into recently, in the past year, a uh, music journalism uh, career, which has taken off just amazingly. Wow. Excellent. I was going to say, uh, I was gonna say you, said, um, that you've been playing drums since you were eight years old? Yeah, I just, um, I, I started off by teaching myself, and then I got like a week of, uh, just like, you know, seven lessons or something like that. And then um, I, I got into the point where I was playing in bands and different things of that nature. Did you Do you have any favorite drummers that you could mention to some of the, the uh, guests, uh, I'm sorry, some of the audience that's out there that you can share? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm big on the jam band thing, so I love John Fishman of Fish. But, you know, more famous drummers, I would say, um, Buddy Rich and uh, Max Roach, which are both um, huge, huge jazz drummers, uh, that just, they both amazed me. And Rush was my first concert, so I'm a huge Neil Peart fan as well. Well, you named some heavyweights, Buddy Rich. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Max, yeah. yeah. <laughs> both those guys are, uh, are not with us anymore. Uh, Max Roach passed, and I was sorry to hear that. Um but uh, those are those are the ones. Those are the heavyweights. Um, you definitely. Uh, so do you, are you, are you are you still playing drums now? Well, I um, I mean the main reason why I've uh, you know I I probably know Ian through my music journalism thing. So that's sort of taken up my life currently. But I still. I mean, I definitely play drums at least like once a week. And then if I'm feeling uh, that I need to like. If I have people that I'm going to play with, you know, in the future, and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, play with them, I'll, I'll play even more. But um, as I'll touch upon later, the whole music journalism thing has really taken up all my time recently. Well, well, let's go back to as a kid. Now, as a kid, did you drive your mom and dad crazy with these drums? Like, you know, kind of in the room? Uh, did they, well, uh, did no, they know? The, the funny thing is, is that my, my – um, my parents, well, not the funny thing, but my parents are divorced, and uh, I learned playing drums at my dad's house, which is not the house that I, I lived at during the week. So on the weekend, I would, like, at the house that I currently, uh, uh, I'm in now, like, in the garage was, on my birthday, was a drum set, and I was just like, whoa. And so, like, that just blew me away. Um, started playing drums, and then I was like, Mom, you know, I play drums at Dad's house. Why don't I have a drum set here? And um, my mom's boyfriend had purchased me a uh, a drum set at my mom's house, so I played even more over there. And then, um, you know, I, I went like a year without playing due to just me getting into sports and 
different types of things. But um, I never really drove my mom crazy, even though she wasn't the music lover like my dad was. But um, it, it definitely, I felt, I had that energy at my dad's where I was more open to playing. You know, it, it, it was it was a different atmosphere, I would say. Well, then, would you say the drums, by being a musician, did it keep you out of trouble? Like, you know, we're trying to tell the audience when you share music with your children, music does a lot of things. And one of the things, did it keep you off the streets or running around with your friends and did it help you? Uh, yeah, I, I, like, the funny thing is, is that I would, I would say yes and no to that question because it definitely kept me from being bored. But uh, the music that I happened to be into was more, you know, um, a lot of the music that I listened to uh, eventually it was very, I, w- I don't want to say drug centered, but, um, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a stranger to the music that I listened to. So that, that sort of um, that introduced me in a different way than kids usually are to drugs. It was, I, to me, the drugs were not something that you did when you were bored, and I, I never, I personally never touched drugs, but I'm saying, though, that to me it was something that people used um, when they went to concerts and different things, and it wasn't the, oh, I'm bored, you know, it's raining out, or I can't play sports because, I'm horrible, I'm now going to go, you know, get involved in different things. I think it definitely kept me off the streets in that sense, but at the same time, depending on what music you listen to, um, a a lot of the times you look at um, great musicians that sort of have have had drugs play too much of a role in their lives, and it sort of, um, you know, overcomes what they've done, and that sort of, you just get introduced to that when you're a musician sometimes. Okay. Also, okay. it's well, something that, and it's also something I guess where it's like when you have that relationship with, with your parents and just being able to make those right choices because it's not like they drugs do not exist, but at the same time, being able to be in that space where you can say no and be clear about making choices in your life that are enriching your life and just staying away from the vices because. I know we've heard all yeah. the stories about the rock stars and the groupies and just, like, and drinking and drugs and stuff. And and it's just a matter of just staying clean and just, like, having that relationship with perhaps it starts with your parents. Maybe it's not about just really about just making just those choices. So I think that I think it's just positive that you can – be like in a scene where there are vices, yet still be bigger than just like these these consequences and these things. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so Tyler, yeah exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, so Tyler, how about you tell us a little bit about like what you're doing on that journalistic side? Um, well, I would like to introduce that whole side of my life with the um, – the, uh, complete inspiration for it. I was a, um, I, I, I was in English, and we were asked to write about a song. I originally wanted to do a Bob Dylan tune, um, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall or Visions of Joanna, but um, I, I chose not to. Uh, I chose Railroad Earth, which is a New Jersey-based, but, uh, but, you know, national touring jam band, bluegrass sort of themed group, and... Um, and my dad, it did Todd Schaefer, the guitarist website. That sort of gave me the okay to, you know, interview him and ask him. He's one of the best, you know, songwriters of our, of our time, of my time at least, besides um, if in the past 100 years I would put him up there with Neil Young and Bob Dylan. But that's, you know, a different, a different story. But I got to interview him. That totally changed my life. I looked at, like, the inside of a musician and, like, that I admired. I and everybody was just like, wow, you did really well. So then I was like, okay, I got to do something with this. And I moved on to um, to writing concert reviews because I loved concerts. And um, my parents were doing the merchandise for Railroad Earth, and we went on, we did like a mini tour with them sort of, and, um, and I, I wrote about those shows, and that pushed on to me writing for like um, relicswithjambands.com and all these different things and they uh and it really um I, I I saw the biggest increase when David Gans, which is a Grateful Dead, um 
radio show host, and also um, he also is a musician himself and a journalist in the '60s. Um, and he had helped me out. And Steve Silverman, who is a um, San Francisco-based, um, he writes for Wired magazine, and he's also he was a music journalist and wrote the liner notes to the dead. So they both helped me out. And um, and recently, just the things that I've done is like interviewed Bill Kreutzman of the Grateful Dead, um, Cornmeal is a jam band act, uh, and all these different groups that I admire. And I, I've just I've written for Jam Bass. Jambands.com, Glide Magazine, and uh, and all in the past year, just like I, I run my own website, ShakedownBlog.com, which um, is just a it has news about the jam band scene and different um, and different you know uh, reviews that of shows I've seen. So I I get all the time. I I just get offered tickets to shows to review them, and uh, that's just totally inspired me to continue this whole music journalism thing. That, but that, is, that is amazing. And, and, and Tyler, I'm, how old are you again? I'm 16. Wow. 16 years old, you're getting all these concert tickets that some, that, that I wish I could have gotten even when I was like in my 20s. And, and that's just amazing yeah, yeah, that you have like such access to it. Yeah, I, I mean, and um, Ian, you know that from the Twitter tribe, I mean, they're great support, and they've helped me out. Um, you know, you had Steve on last week, and he's a really cool guy. Um, and he Absolutely. sort of, he's definitely helped me out just like, he probably doesn't even necessarily know it, but just creating the whole tribe thing. But, um, you know, I just, I can't go to concerts anymore without people coming up to me and telling me that I'm like that kid from Almost Famous. Like it's, I was I was taking pictures um, in the pit of Madison Square Garden for further, which is Bob Weir and Phil Lesh of the Grateful Dead, and you know five different people came up to me and said, "Tyler, what's up?" You know, I, I read your stuff and friends of mine, and they're like, "Look where you are! Like, look around you!" And I was taking pictures on a on a tiny digital camera for my review of like, in that it was just that was like the thing that just opened my eyes to like where I've been and like just it, it it's. It's something that I just cannot, like, grasp fully. Maybe because it's not over and I don't know, like, when it's going to, you know, run its, its route, but it, it's just not it's not stopping and I'm just loving it. It's it, it's something that I would never, ever trade. That's beautiful. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's like I, I've almost... Uh, I didn't think that I had a purpose prior to, like, doing this. Like, I didn't... I wasn't necessarily great at anything. Like I was a I was a pretty good drummer, but like I tried at everything that I did hard and it just never really paid off to the point where it is now with music journalism and it's just I get offered all the time for all these different things and that's like the thing that tells you, you know, you're doing something right and it's um I hope that every kid or every person goes through um, you know, what I'm going through now and like understands that they do have something that they're on this earth for. And I feel like I'm on this earth to, earth just to talk about music and let people hear these bands that I've, you know, found and that are great. And it's um, it's something that you just cannot, like, explain fully. It's, it, it's great. Tyler, that's amazing. Um, any final thoughts on Jay Tyler um, on just such, such a journey that, I, it's like you keep on saying, once it can end, it's, my mind, it's just beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's um, certainly. I mean, when your parents are, uh, when when my dad found out that I was interviewing Bill Kreutzmann, and you know he's a huge Grateful Dead fan, he was just like, "What?" Like, <laughs> you know, I I I saw him a hundred times, and like, and now you who didn't get to see him live um, with, when Jerry was alive is now. It is now interviewing him, and, and you know, it was. It, it's just, it's surreal. It, it, it's amazing. Amazing. So, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today and just sharing your insight and where you are, and we, we thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you so much. so much for having me on. Thank you. Yep, all right. All right, all right. And, 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 and I'll sure I'll see you at a show soon. Yes, thank you very much.
All right. Talk to you later, Tyler. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Amazing, Jay. And Wow. And, yeah, that was and, very amazing. Absolutely. Just like as we're talking about, as we started out with a child drummer and then leading leading to Lloyd, who who's sharing his experiences growing up playing music. And then we have Tyler, 16 years old, who is a drummer as well, just connecting to the beginning and just really being immersed in music and with his parents. And you know what else, Jay? The show's not over yet. We have our next guest. Wow. So Anthony, so so Anthony, um, it's Ian and yes, Jay. I'm How here. are you? I'm good. Excellent. How are thanks, you? Excellent. Thanks for for calling in. Thanks for joining us today on Parents Kids Music. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so must... Okay, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I just had to make a comment about Tyler. I was listening to some of that, and that's incredibly inspiring. And for it to be at that age and realize that. He, this did not happen by accident. What you love doing is what you have to do in life, and that's what will make you successful, what you love doing. Absolutely. Yes, that's so, very, very important. Yes, I know that um, we were talking a little earlier before the show today, and here, I wonder if you could share with us a little bit about your musical background and your relationship with music as a child, as an adult, as a father? Um, I have a vast um, history of a musical background. I've been singing and I've been performing for 45 years. Um, I started singing professionally when I was 11 years old in nightclubs, passing for like 19 years old all around the, the New York area, the, the Catskills. This is going back into the mid to late 60s when this was occurring. Um, and my career as uh, a singer and a dancer and an actor, a choreographer, director, um, has gone on for all these different years in a lot of different capacities. Very cool. So, I mean... And- it, the variety of in, of um, influences that I've had in my life are vast from, you know, I was growing up in the 60s, so of course the Beatles were a major influence, and then um, later on, things like people like Cat Stevens, um, all the influences of the late 60s groups, and of course, before that, I was influenced by the big names of show business, from Frank Sinatra to Judy Garland to even Al Jolson to some degree, and going back as far as Bessie Smith. So my my ability to understand and love music is, and keep keep on transcending to currently all the different people that I love, um, it's just been there for many many years. That's- Amazing. And, and tell me about like where, how you were exposed to um, what you were exposed to as a kid and how much of it came from your parents and how much came from your family? A lot of it did. I came from a family where my mother was a choreographer. My father was a director. There was always music in the house. Uh, I can remember taking walks with my father uh, on our street four or five years old and him playing opera and explaining the operas to me. But at the same time, we'd be watching the Judy Garland show or I'd be, I was already singing at four and five years old to Frank Sinatra records. So it was, it, it was there. It was so integral. And of course, then I was so immersed into music from the Beatles, the Gabe Clark Fives, the Rolling Stones, I can go on and on and on, the different people for the British invasion when I was, you know, turning 9 and 10 and 11 years old, and then I was in a rock band when I was in uh, grammar school. And then I started singing professionally popular music from the time I was about 11 years old. And those are all different people, anybody from the Four Seasons to Tony Bennett to Dusty Springfield, to, you know, it was all different groups of people that I was constantly working uh, their music. Wow. So my influences were vast. 
also musical comedy and musical theater was a big part of what I did. But I also was, you know, a, a kid that could flip back and forth. So some of my idols were Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and and all of those people as well. I always, in fact, I remember in high school doing a uh, a paper on the comparison to Judy Garland and Janis Joplin from one generation to another. Wow. Definitely, so definitely the, different worlds. Yeah. It's sort see, of epic. It's sort of epic in its approach. And so when my kids were younger, I have two sons. One is uh, 22 years old and the other one is 25, going to be 26 years old. By the time they were one, one or two years old in you know car seats, they knew every word of Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. And then we'd shift over to, to crash test, test dummies. Or I would show them the comparisons of different groups to someone like Cat Stevens or, and whatever. And then they went on to begin, become musicians themselves. And, but their genre of music, st- starting out with, was completely different. They started out as very hard rock uh, metal performers. And their first group, I think, was called um, Rotten Pain, as a matter of fact, was their first group. Very friendly name. Excuse me? Very friendly name for a band. Yeah, yeah. And they have immersed and they have evolved to such degrees. Um, You're going to be on, you'll be on the the network tonight, uh, www.zadalva.com, where we will discuss further... um, and you'll meet them, and they now are involved with all elements of popular music, fusions of music. They're still composing. My son Frank is a drummer. My son Anthony plays guitar as well as he's the vocalist, and he does all of their tracks. Um, They have a full-fledged studio. And, you know, these are kids who have had an influence where they love ACDC and they love Metallica, and at the same time, if you can, if, if you ask them about Ethel Merman, that can tell you four shows that she was in. So, so the idea is that there's the music you love, but you can also embrace everything and not just pass music. As that's really my view of music. Like there are the bands I like, there are the bands I listened to growing up. There, are, there are obviously certain things on my iPod that I that I listened to when I was 10, but mostly not. But the fact is that you were just having just such a strong musical background to the point mm-hmm. where where you can respect what's come before you, even if what you're interested in, in and even if in terms of your kids and yourself, like being, um, creating music yourself, that you can have the respect of other genres, even though that might not be what you might have that song that's stuck in your head at the sack it might be. Well, of course. I mean, if you look at, you know, even let's go back to the Beatles uh, classically. All of their, some of their earlier works, uh, their influences were, were people like Chuck Berry, people like Little Richard. They were earlier rock and roll American artists. It's the same thing with my kids. They have got, you know, my son and I covered... Uh, father and Son by Cat Stevens, where we, you know, I played the father part. He, because uh, I'm, you know, as a singer, I played the father part, and he did the son part, and he rocked it out. He changed the whole element of the way it's done. And you know, they've covered many tunes. My son uh, uh, Frank and Anthony have just covered uh, Eminem's uh, "Just the Way You Lie" recently, and made it into a rock version. So, you know, they, cool. because of the, the the flexibility and the understanding of music and knowing that everything is cool, Every, there's elements that you could use, that you can utilize within what you do within your own style. And if you stay restricted, um, then you can't grow. And we've always been a family that's open to that. And I, you know, you wouldn't think it, uh, you know, I'm 57 years old. I am still very vitally involved in what I do with the music business, and I am very involved with new and young artists, constantly listening to new artists, 
never, you know, relying and sitting back on all the things that I was brought up with. They were certainly influences. But, you know, a musician always wants to go forward, always wants to keep on exploring, always wants to keep on um, evolving and reevaluating what they're doing. Excellent. If, if you can sum it up to one piece of advice for those listening that are interested in making music, whether it's as a child or professionally or just personally, what, what is that? What would what would you share with them? I would share with them the fact that you have to keep completely open to everything in life. You cannot shut yourself down to anything. And if anything, look towards some music that you might never have explored before. Listen to it. See the kind of influence it can give you. And always be true, utterly true, to your voice, to who you are as a performer and a musician. The way that Tyler was talking about before me, the reason why things are coming to him is because he's doing what he loves and he's doing what he's supposed to do. That's what it's all about. That is love. And, and Jay, do you have any do you have any questions or anything to say? Yeah, Anthony, I have a couple of things to ask you. It intrigued me that you were around when the you said something about the British invasion. Okay. Yes. And you you were you, were you a kid at this time with your parents at this time? Oh yeah, I was I was like nine or ten years old. Okay, so you remember uh, when Walter Cronkite ran the story about Beatlemania and all that stuff when they were coming over? I was there uh, for Beatlemania. I, I I was in New York, living in Portchester, New York, the the weekend in February when the Beatles landed, as they said, and okay. it was mayhem. So so would you say when that happened, what happened to the American rock and roll singers or? The Motown sound did it push all of those? Because some some criticism says that when Beatlemania came over and the the British invaded, it kind of pushed our music uh, in the back. Kind of did that happen at that period? In some degrees, it did for the initial uh, onslaught. You have to understand. I don't think it's ever happened again. I believe that when the Beatles were first hitting the charts, like in '64, '65, '66, there were times there were ten Beatles songs in the top twenty. Wow. So you're, you're talking about a situation where everybody was jumping on the bandwagon, and certainly I was a, a kid that also loved Motown, that also loved, uh, quite frankly, I also loved um, the bad boys of rock and roll, the Stones. Um, you know, so there, were, there was all these influences, but certainly at that time frame, everybody had to look very seriously at what the Beatles were doing and what, they, what had occurred because it completely revolutionized music. So even Elvis, Presley had, even Elvis Presley had to take a back seat when these guys came over. Everybody had to kind of keep their eyes on these new young kids. The yeah, I mean, when Elvis, let's face it, at that particular time in 64, you have to also understand something. President, there's a lot of things socially that had happened. In 1963, when President Kennedy died, that was in November of 63, we had lost our innocence. You, you, you can't even imagine. The only thing I can compare, compare this to is perhaps 9-11 or certainly the day that Diana died, Princess of Wales, when it was this weird feeling. So we lost our innocence. All that the, the, the American music, now you have to understand, the Beatles came in in February 1964, just months after President Kennedy. It was like this whole new era had begun. Well, well what did the parents do? You know, all their kids are going after. What was the vibe of the parents in that whole thing? Parents, parents were not- outraged. My father wasn't because he was very innovative. He won, my father said in 1964, and he was a conservative man, even though he loved music, he said that Paul McCartney will one day be known as one of the biggest uh, people in the business in this century. And he, he knew that right away. But most parents were you know, you know, up in arms because of the long hair, as they called it at that particular time, of the differences in dress. Um, but in some respects, the parents started to um, embrace it sooner, I think, than they thought they would, because it was hard not to. It was all over the place. I mean, you have to understand, we had records then. We wore them out. There was not a song, not a syllable, not a note you did not know in a Beatles album. 
So I don't. Okay, now, now, now explain. There were no iPods, right? There were no. There was no internet. So how did these kids? There was nothing, baby. How did they do this? How do we this? communicate? Yes. How do they do it? That's what's so amazing about it. It was all over. The, it was all over radio. WABC Radio here in New York, and it was all on the television, and then it just spread like wildfire. I had my first Beatle album within a day after I saw them on the uh, Ed Sullivan show. Beatle wigs were being sold within a week. Wow. It was, there, there's never been anything like that before. Never. And there never will be again. So but all that, of this was through the... It's amazing, isn't it? It was through yeah, the radio. There were magazines then. There were teen magazines, which still exist to some degree. Sixteen magazine, Tiger Beat magazine. And they, these magazines came out every month, and we just ran to the stores. Beetle cards, like baseball cards, were like valued. I have all of mine from 1964. What was it? Was it the music? Was it the hair? Was it because these were young guys? It was everything. Oh. It, it was everything. It was something that was so new to all of us. It was it was just a, a, it was about a revolution. It was a whole different feeling, um, you know, peg leg pants and uh, the, co- the collarless suits. Uh, I remember Tom McCann's, which is not in existence anymore. It was a shoe store. They sold Beetle boots, which were these Cuban heeled boots with elastic on the sides that all the boys, all the Beetle bo- the Beatles uh, wore on stage. So we were imitating them. By the summer of '64, it was mayhem. Wow! A couple of months. So how long did? So Anthony, how long did it take the parents to get it? Who you would say? How long did it take the parents, parents to, to, get it, to get it? To get it. In other words, how long did it take the parents to say, "Okay, we're going to accept these Beatles guys. Uh, we can't stop this, and we're going to let our kids go to this concert, and we just we give up." Um. It was it was impossible because kids were finding ways of sneaking out of houses. It was it was mayhem. I would think you know I'm sure there were parents. There was a whole thing of burning Beatle albums and shit like that. I mean that, that happened, but for the most part, um, I think parents sort of they had to accept it because it was so big. It was so big. There was nothing that compared to it. I mean the the other the next thing next to it would would have been Elvis. But this was, in some respects, even bigger because it started a revolution of different music coming over from the U.K. Right. So I would say probably within a year's time, they had to to open themselves up to it. I can remember, you know, my mother surprised me with a Beatle album probably within six months after. You know, they knew that was it. When Christmas time came, you knew that Beatle albums were on your Christmas list. That was just it. Excellent, wow. so, excellent. Um, we're just you know, um, Anthony. We're running out of time. Um, we're I looking know. forward to your being on your show, on the show tonight, Absolutely. the show. Excellent. I'll be in there. Jay should be calling you in. And thank Good. you so much for joining us, Anthony. I totally enjoyed it. I hope I was informative to you guys. Excellent. Fair. Thank you so much. Take care. We'll now. speak to you soon. Absolutely. All right. Bye. 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 Hey, Ian, I had a question for you. What is your treasure.com? That. What is your treasure.net? Oh, dot .net. Okay. What is your treasure.net? Dot, dot .net. You can go to com, but it's completely unaffiliated with the amazing website that we know, asking about the important things that are in your lives. Right. And, right. and there's a lot of things that I treasure. I treasure yeah. the ability to wake up every morning and just be able to listen to the music that I choose. But that's wonderful. So, in other words, so make, to make it make it clear, it's what is your treasure dot net. And for those of you who do not go to dot com, <laughs> make sure you go to dot net. All right, all right, Jay. Thank you so much. It's been a great show. We have seconds remaining, and look forward to being. Yes, tonight on the A&P show on Zeldala.com. That is Z-E, actually, .net. We, we messed up the .com, .net again. That's Z-E-D-A-L-Z-A.net. We will be on tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern time, so that's 6 p.m. in 
on the West Coast. So until next time, this is Parents Kids Music, and we'll see you later. Thank you.